So we have been looking at the Apostles' Creed for the last number of weeks. So the Apostles' Creed is this set of beliefs. It's a way, something created by the early church to talk about what it is that Christians believe. And one way to think of it is it's a guide to faithful reading. It's a way to look at what it is that we believe as people. And so as we read our Bibles, it's a way to help us know that we're reading it correctly. But it's also a way to kind of set the boundaries and to to teach us and to say, when we read our Bible, and if we find something that seems to disagree with the creed, then maybe we want to think about how we're interpreting that particular verse. That doesn't mean that the creed stands over the Bible, but we also want to remember that the creed is an ecumenical creed, that it's something that has been believed by most of the church through most of time, or most of the time since Jesus. And so if we want to go against something the creed teaches, we better be pretty certain about what it is we believe and what it is. And so if we find a verse and say, well, obviously the creed is wrong, we might want to step back as we always want to do with a little bit of humility and say, well, let me stop and think about that. And so as Jan alluded to, the passage that we're going to be looking at today is perhaps one of the more confusing lines in the Apostles' Creed. And so we're going to look at a little bit of what it says and then why it says it. Um, and think about it and remembering this and beginning with what it means and it doesn't mean. You know, and this begins with this question of, you know, he descended into Hades or in some trans. When I grew up, I think many times in the church, we said in, into hell. And so what or where is hell? Good question, right? And so again, I begin this with a little bit of humility and saying that these are complicated questions, to say the least. And it gets into lots of Old Testament stuff. It gets into lots of first century Judaism and understanding lots of theories and philosophy. But I'm going to try and boil it down to my best understanding of it. And so, First of all, we want to understand that Hades and hell, and there's a lot of other languages, Hades, hell, Sheol, there's Abraham's bosom, paradise, all these different words and pictures that are used in different places in the Bible to describe different things. But I think probably when we say it in the creed, as it's written here, he descended into Hades is probably a better way, and it's a distinguishing between the concept of Hades and the concept of hell. And the best way to think of it is Hades, or Sheol in the Old Testament of the Bible, is essentially the place of the dead. It's when you die, where do you go? You go to the place of the dead. And it's kind of a, it's a waiting time because the picture in the Bible is there's a time between when you die and then there'll be a future resurrection when Jesus returns and everyone is resurrected and, and goes to be with God or to be separated from him, to reward or to punishment. And so Hades essentially is this place of the dead where people go. And what gets more confusing is Hades, if you will, has kind of two compartments. So there's the place of the righteous dead and the place of the unrighteous dead. And so when someone dies, they go to either the place of the righteous dead or the place of the unrighteous dead. And so it's a waiting place, but it's not purgatory. Some of you are familiar with this doctor, this idea of purgatory, which is a place where people go to kind of have their, their sins purged out from them. That's not what we're talking about. But essentially, the biblical concept, the Jewish concept, is that when you die, when a person dies, they go to the place of the dead, which is a waiting place until the final resurrection. 
Their body goes into the ground and their spirit or their soul goes to this waiting place. And there's kind of two compartments in this waiting place. The waiting place for the righteous, sometimes referred to Abraham's bosom or paradise. And the place of the unrighteous dead, sometimes referred to as also Sheol. And so again, you're like, I'm confused already. But essential concept we want to think of. Hades, Sheol in the Old Testament is essentially the place of the dead. So when that's our starting place, so when we say this line, Jesus descended into Hades, the key is that we're affirming what we're saying in this and what we're expressing, what we're confessing is that Jesus died a death like any other human being. That he truly died like any other human being. The line before it is what he crucified, dead, and buried. And the key point is, he's re- this line is reinforcing this, saying that Jesus truly died a death. It wasn't just an illusion. He didn't die some sort of different kind of death. It wasn't different for him because of, but he descended into Hades. Mean he went to the place of the dead, just like any other person, any other man, woman. When they die, he experienced that very same thing. So let's look at a few verses, and we'll kind of see where this all comes from. Because you say, well, it's great to have this line in the creed, but what does our Bible say about it? So. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, um, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees, kind of quote, but at one point he says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus, what does he do? He sets up a parallel, right, between those two things. Jonah, belly of the fish, Son of Man, Jesus heart of the earth. So there's a parallel somehow between the belly of the fish and the heart of the earth. Well, who was Jonah? Anybody know? No, okay. Rhetorical question, right? Jonah Jonah was this man who was sent by God to preach to Nineveh. There's a whole book about him in the Bible. But in chapter 2 of Jonah, so Jonah, quick story, Jonah is told by God to go. Jonah tries to run away. Eventually, Jonah gets thrown off a boat, gets swallowed by this giant fish. And while he's in the giant fish, he says a prayer. And he prays in Jonah chapter 2. And he's talking, and this is what he says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. He says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, or deep in Sheol, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So in other words, what Jonah is saying, what in Jonah chapter 2, there's a parallel set up between the belly of the fish and the place of the dead. So when Jesus says, just as the Son of Man will be laid in the heart of the earth, or just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. So there's this parallel set up, and so what Jesus is saying is, Jonah is describing it as the place of the dead, and it's not just the body laying in the ground. And why do we say that? Because what does Jonah do while he's there in the belly of the fish? He prays. How many dead bodies can pray? None, right? So when Jesus is saying he's placed in the heart of the earth, it's not simply saying his body was put in a grave. It's speaking to his soul or his spirit being in the place of the dead. And so this is just kind of setting up this idea. Or in Acts chapter 2, the passage we read. And so Acts chapter 2, this first of sort sermon preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, and he's filling us in, and he's talking. He says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. 
And then he says in 2.27, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, or if we're reading Greek, you will not abandon me to Hades. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And so again, here's this reference to Hades saying that, that Jesus will not be abandoned. In other words, He won't be left there. He's going there, but He's not going to be left there. And He's not going to see corruption, physical or spiritual of any kind. All right, last verse we're going to look at real quick is Romans 10, 9. And so I'm going to read a little bit of what comes before that in Romans 10, beginning at verse 6. And so in Romans 10, Paul is talking and he says, But the righteous that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does he say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's from among the dead ones. So these three passages, and that's kind of why we went through them kind of quickly. We got Jesus comparing himself to Jonah in the belly of the whale or in the realm of the dead. Peter in Acts chapter 2 describing Jesus not being abandoned in the realm of the dead. And then Paul in Romans chapter 10 saying, just as God raised him from among the dead ones. So the main idea is what? Jesus died a real human death. So when we're confessing that line, we're not saying anything crazy. We're essentially saying that Jesus died a human death. In other words, what happened? He was taken down from the cross. His body was laid in a tomb. And his spirit or soul went to the realm of the dead. Now, what do we say about the realm of the dead? There's two compartments. Realm of the righteous dead, realm of the unrighteous dead. Anyone want to take a guess where we think Jesus went? <laughs> realm of the righteous dead, right? He went to the righteous place because Jesus was righteous. So he goes down there, but then the question is, so what did Jesus do there? Because Jesus died on a Friday afternoon. God raised him from the dead on a Sunday morning. So the question is, what was Jesus doing that whole time? And in the church, in some church traditions, there's what's called Holy Saturday. We, we celebrate Good Friday. Good Friday is when Jesus died. And then we've got Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. But there's a little bit of time in between. And so the question is, what's Jesus doing that whole time? A couple passages we can look at. And then we're going to try and tie all those together and think about what he means. So I think there's kind of three things we can think about Jesus did during that time. And those three things are, he was releasing captives, he was proclaiming victory, and he was accomplishing victory. Those two last ones are similar, but he was releasing captives, proclaiming victory, and accomplishing victory. So the first one is he was releasing captives. So we're going to go to another passage. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this. Kind of jumping all over a little bit here, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's talking about this, and he says this, he says, so that is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He, also he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so there's this picture of Jesus goes down, and then he leads captives out. He goes down from 
heaven and he goes down to the lower depths of the earth and then he leads captives out. Well, who does he release? He releases the righteous. He's not letting everybody out. He's letting out the righteous dead. And there's some great... How many of you are familiar with icons? What icons are? Not the kinds on your computer screens, but there's, a, there's some of the, in icons in the Eastern Orthodox... In the Eastern Orthodox Church, there's a tradition of um, icon, iconography, and they paint these pictures, and really they talk about praying an icon, not painting it, praying an icon, and they create these pictures. And there is one that is typically connected with Holy Saturday, and it's sometimes called the harrowing of hell. And it's this great picture, and if you get a chance, I would ask, check with Jan and look at the picture that's in the kids' book, because the picture in the kids' book is drawn on that same icon, and I was going to put it up on the screen this morning. I was having computer problems this morning, so it wasn't cooperating with me. But there's a picture, and it's this picture of Jesus coming out, and in the picture, he's reaching out, and he's got his hands in every one of the icons, and there's people kind of coming up out of graves or out of tombs and caskets, typically representing Adam and Eve. Sometimes there's pictures of kings to represent David and Jesus as the new king, but it's this great picture of him coming out, and this is what it's about, that the righteous dead in faith, because Again, when we caught the righteous dead, so we're talking like Abraham and David and all the people before Jesus. Had Jesus come and died on a cross for them yet? No. But they're waiting in expectation. They're waiting in hope. And so when Jesus comes, that hope is fulfilled and he's releasing them from captivity. All right. Second thing he's doing, he's proclaiming victory. And that's the strange passage in 1 Peter. All right. 1 Peter 3, where it talks about him. For Christ suffered once, and he was put to death in the body, and after being made, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Now, if you want to know more about this, I did a sermon, an entire sermon on 1 Peter chapter 3 last July. So you can go on our website, and you can listen to that, watch that, and get into the details of that. But essentially what we have here is he's proclaiming victory. Proclaiming victory probably to the imprisoned spirits, perhaps to the righteous dead, but more likely probably to imprisoned evil angels. Like I said, this is weird stuff, okay, people? I mean, there's just no, no way around it. This is stuff you... And it's hard because there's just one or two little lines in the Bible. Like, what, what is this all about? But he's coming and he's proclaiming victory to the imprisoned spirits, most likely these evil angels. And since Jesus is announcing victory... And one of the things we want to recognize is we often think of the victory as the resurrection. Oh, when Jesus died, Jesus raised from the dead, and this is the victory. But in fact, he has already achieved victory in his death. Because I want to think about this. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God, the all-powerful, the mighty one. So if he goes into the place of the dead, who's the most powerful person there in the place of the dead? Jesus. In other words, he will be the victor wherever he goes. And so when he, the fact that he goes into the place of the dead makes him, and that's kind of the third point, is the victory over death. And so Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 says this, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, this is Jesus speaking, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death in Hades. And so to hold the keys means you're in possession. So if we think of when we buy a house, right? You know, you, you're given the keys. You, you have the keys. And what, what does that mean? When you get the keys to the house, who owns the house? Well, you own the bank, right? But <laughs> you own the house. In other words, when Jesus takes the keys 
He's connecting and saying, I own, I am victorious. Hades, he enters into Hades, and then he kicks the gates down from the inside. And then he holds the keys, and he says, these are open now, and this power of death has been defeated. And so even in his death, this is what he's talking about, that his death is part of their victory over death. And there's a great, we sing, we're going to sing a song next week, um, Christ is Risen, and it's called Trampling Over Death by Death. We think, oh, he came up with these great lyrics. Those lyrics are from an ancient song sung on Holy Saturday. They aren't some song, the lyrics that are like this clever ones that somebody came up with today, but they're hundreds of years old that Eastern Orthodox Christians sing every year on Holy Saturday talking about Jesus trampling over death by death, and it's proclaiming this very thing, that Jesus crucified, died, buried, that same Jesus, the Son of God, goes into the realm of the dead, and as the Son of God, He is the victorious one. He holds the keys of death in Hades. He breaks his gates, and He is the one who by His death tramples over death. He's victorious in this. So when we come to this simple line in the creed, He descended into Hades. Sometimes we just want to skip over, like, I don't know what that's all about. And I know there's some of you, like, we're really excited, like, okay, I hope Pastor Carl's going to explain this line, because I don't have any idea what it means. And hopefully, by the end of the morning, you'll have a little better idea what it means. Because it is, it's a confusing line. But in the end, it's proclaiming this one certain thing, that Jesus died a death just like any other human being. That his body was placed in his grave, his soul or spirit went to the realm or the place of the dead. And there he was victorious, and he released the captives, the righteous dead, and proclaimed that victory to the spirits in prison. And then we say, wow, on the one hand, that's some interesting theology. Like, well, that's kind of interesting. Maybe a discussion you'd have late at night when you're wondering about weird, strange passages in the Bible. But the question we sometimes want to ask ourselves then is, what do we do with this? I mean, does, does it really make any difference? How important is it to us? And so I was uh, listening to an interview with Matthew Emerson, who's a biblical scholar who wrote an entire book on he descended into the dead. So an entire book on this one line, hundreds of pages long. So forgive me if I crammed it into 20-some minutes of time, but he wrote an entire book on you know, theology. And he was asked, us in, the, asked in this interview kind of in the end, what happens if we don't get this? What happens if this line is left out? What happens if we don't understand it? And I think his kind of three points were helpful to think about because at the end of a sermon, at the end of reading our Bible, the goal isn't simply to know more things. Knowing more things is important. It's important to know and to understand, and we want to understand what the Bible's saying. But we also want to say, how does it change me? How does it draw me closer to God? How does it help me live a life that's more like Jesus? And so there's kind of three points. The first is, it's another important reminder that Jesus was fully human. And this was a struggle in the early church, a struggle. People had all kinds of debates about, well, maybe he just looked like a person. Maybe he didn't really die. But this line that he descended into Hades was saying he was fully human and died a death like any other human being. It's to set aside any 
doubts, any questions that Jesus wasn't truly human. Second thing, though, we want to do is it, it misses out on a view of Jesus' kingship. We think of Jesus as being Lord over things. We think of Lord over heaven and Lord over earth, but He's also Lord over the realm of the dead. So when we proclaim Jesus is Lord, when He's saying He is King, we're saying He is King over death, which is the last enemy. Sometimes I'm going to say, well, does God have power over that? And this is an important concept, which will lead into the third one. Jesus rules even over death. There's nothing that's outside of His realm of power, outside of His realm of control, outside of His kingship, including death. And this is what kind of leads into that third point. And we certainly have a hope of a future resurrection. But in the meantime, we can say that Jesus has already walked in the valley of the shadow. And in that book that Jan read, there's some great lines, and it says, where will I go when I die? Where do all the dead go? Wherever it is, Jesus went there too. Listen to that. Where do all the dead go? Wherever it is. And that's why I said, that, I mean, I started this whole thing with these, all these different words. There's Hades and Shill and Abraham's bosom and paradise, and hell, all these different language. Essentially, we're talking about where do dead people go? And maybe we can get into different debates about all these different things. But no matter where that is, Jesus went there too. And is anything stronger than death? Yes, Jesus is. And so when we begin to think about it, we begin to recognize that for those of us who are maybe talking with someone facing death, or maybe we ourselves are facing death, and there's a lot of uncertainty. Death is... In today's American society, something we don't talk about a whole lot, we like to push to the side. 100, 200 years ago, in most of the world, when people died, it took place where? In their homes. And now, where people die? Hospitals. And in the last couple of years, oftentimes in hospitals isolated by themselves, maybe in nursing homes, oftentimes separated from... And death can be this kind of scary and uncertain thing. And I would guess if I were to ask most of you, most of you could remember that first time you experienced the death of a loved one. Maybe that first time you were at a funeral and you saw a body. And I can think back to that myself when I was a young boy and seeing my grandmother in, in, laid in a coffin and, and had all kinds of questions about what that meant and you know, where was she? Is that her? Because I'm seeing what looks like my grandma, but in some sense, it's not my grandma because there's no life there. And so all these questions about it, and as a child, it can be scary. Even as an adult, death can be frightening. It can be scary, and we can worry, and we can have all kinds of questions. Well, what happens when I die? And if we remember this line that Jesus descended into Hades, we can be reminded of this, that whatever it is you are about to experience, and many people in those last moments, there's a sense of fear, there's a sense of uncertainty, and I've seen this and heard people talk about this, even for people who are faithful and committed Christians and have this sure and certain hope of the resurrection, there can be in those last moments a little bit of fear, a little bit of wondering, but they know it. I've talked to people, they know they can confess those words, they can say those words. I know that because of my belief in Jesus that I'm going to be raised from the dead 
but I'm scared. And I think, in part, these words that Jesus descended into Hades is another reminder, another encouragement to the person that they don't need to be afraid because wherever it is they're going, whatever they're about to experience, whatever death feels and it feels like, Jesus has already experienced it. And Jesus is with you. So if Jesus died and went to the place of the dead, that Jesus will be with you until that final resurrection. And so it's an encouraging word to us to think about as we face death, as we talk to other people facing death, and as they have concerns and as they have worries, we can certainly point them to the resurrection and to that final hope. But we have in the meantime, because that resurrection is off in the future somewhere. But we can say, in the meantime, whatever it is you are about to experience as you enter into the valley of the shadow of death, whatever it is you're about to experience, Jesus has been there too. And Jesus has gone there, and He's the one who holds the keys of death in Hades. He's the one who rules over that realm. So I would invite us as we read these words... Are they easy to understand now? Hopefully, you have a little better understanding of what they're talking about, that there's this realm of the dead. But more than that, that we have these ideas that whatever, however we understand this, that what it's reminding us of is Jesus' victory over death and that he's experienced this same thing, that there's nothing in our human experience that he doesn't understand. And so as we consider even our own death and we wonder about this, we can say, Jesus has been there, so I don't need to be afraid. Jesus has been there, and he's the one who holds the keys of death and of Hades, so I don't need to worry. That Jesus has trampled over death by death, and He's won the victory. He descended into Hades. This may be a confusing line, but it's also good news for us today. Amen.